This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Today we're going to look at quite a few selections uh, from the book of 1 Samuel. So instead of reading right now, we'll read it throughout the sermon. So let's begin with prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of coming together as a family of believers in person and online to hear your word and to grow. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to your people through your word and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. What is the best animated movie that Disney ever made? Obviously, it's Toy Story, right? Toy Story, whether it's the original or Toy Story 2 or Toy Story 3, and we're all just going to pretend they didn't make the mistake of making another one afterwards. But I think these are some of the best animated movies that, that Disney made. And what I like about them is instead of going with the, the, the classic storyline, the, the Romeo and Juliet storyline of the, the helpless princess being won by the prince, it's a story about not the power of romantic love, but the power of friendship. And how important friendship is. And, and I hope you know the basic storyline, right? Where the story of, of Woody and Buzz, and at first they're not friends, they're kind of rivals, until they realize that they have this common purpose, this common cause to bring joy and happiness to their master, Andy. And they're willing to make great sacrifices to fulfill that purpose. And I think the reason that this movie resonated with so many people is because whether you're a believer or not, deep down we know that, that friendship is one of the greatest blessings that God has given us. Friendship is one of God's greatest gifts. And that's what the Bible itself says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. It says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other ways, to, in other words, without friends, you're not going to make it. You need friends. Friends are a necessity. Who, whoever has unreliable friends, he comes to ruin. He's not going to make it. We need each other. We're designed that way. Now, if that's true, if we need friends, then why don't we always put in the time and effort necessary to create friendships or to cultivate friendships? Well, C.S. Lewis in his famous book, The Four Loves, he wrote this back in the 1960s, and he, he looked at the four different types of love uh, in the Greek. And he said that there's there's eros, which is that erotic love, that romantic love. And there's that, um, there's agape, kind of God's love. There's storge, uh, that's the, the, the love of a family, the ad, uh, admiration of a mother has with a child. But then there's also a love, philia, the, the, the love of friends. And he says, the, here's one of the reasons why we don't always cultivate friendship. He said it this way. Friendship is the least natural of loves. Without eros, that romantic love, 
none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, that familial love, none of us would have been reared. But we can live and breed without friendship. In other words, what he's saying is we don't have necessarily a biological necessity for friendship. We can live and breed without friendship. And so we don't think that it maybe is that valuable, that necessary, that we have to have friends, but it is. In fact, we need friends to be emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, and we're not going to get through the hard things of life, the realities of life, if we don't have friends. In fact, that's one of the reasons I think we have such a mental and spiritual crisis going on uh, in our world. I think one of the reasons that so many of us, so many times we deal with, with lots of emotional issues is, is a lack of friendship, a lack of somebody to just help us walk through very difficult times, that we need friends. We're not going to get through the hardships of life without good friends. Unfortunately, we have relied on technology to, to, to maybe do everything for us when it comes to friendship. And we were told this promise that, that, that through technology, we can have thousands of friends. But technology makes it too easy. Uh, we, we're not willing to really be known through technology and to know others. And so there's this deep sense of loneliness in many of our lives. But God's word gives us some direction. Today we're continuing this sermon series as we look at the life of, of one of the most well-known people in scripture, David. And we're continuing the sermon says David, the imperfect king. And today we're going to talk about his, his story of friendship. It's one of the greatest narratives in the Bible on friendship. The story of David and his best friend, Jonathan. And in this sermon, we're going to try to answer this two-part question. How do we create and cultivate Christian friends? How do you get a friend and how do you grow a friend? How does that work? But first, before we dive into that, maybe you're wondering, well, who's this Jonathan? Maybe you say, I've heard of David. We talked about David and Goliath last week, but, but who's this Jonathan? Where did he come from? Well, Jonathan is the son of Saul, the first king in Israel. And Saul, he was kind of a narcissistic um, psychopath. Uh, really, Saul was all about him. Saul would do anything he could to get power, get control. He would use religion. He would use uh, the Bible. He would use sacrifice. He would use whatever he had to do to gain power and control. Thankfully, his son was totally different. Jonathan was totally different than his father. Jonathan lived to bring glory to God, to fight for God's honor. He was this valiant soldier. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, Jonathan is with his armor bearer and they see a group of Philistines who were um, the Israelites' enemies. They were fighting in battle and just between him and his armor bearer, he says this, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, those Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. 
So you see here, Jonathan saying, nothing can hinder us if God is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? So Jonathan had this, this zeal for the Lord, this confidence in the Lord, this trust in the Lord, and he was willing to fight God's battles in the name of the Lord, not for his own glory. Nobody else was around. It was just him and his arm bear. He wasn't doing it for show. He was doing it for God's glory. And guess what? God was with him, and just Jonathan and his armor bear took armor bearer took down 20 Philistine soldiers all by themselves. Pretty remarkable. So that's a little background with Jonathan. Well, how did Jonathan become best friends with David? Well, we first hear about that in 1 Samuel chapter 18. In 1 Samuel 17, um, we heard the story last week, David defeats Goliath. And David goes up against this Philistine giant, Nine feet tall giant. And, and what, what was David's big concern? David was concerned about bringing glory to God's name. He trusted in the Lord would fight his battles for him. And he was this valiant warrior. And after he defeats Goliath, uh, he's standing before Saul and Saul is commending him and thanking him. And then we read this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as he loved himself. So it says that Jonathan and David, they really were bonded together. That's what that word means. They were bonded together in friendship. And why did they become friends? Well, Jonathan saw the same desires that David had. They both had this desire for God's glory. They both were fighting God's battles. They both were willing to take risks. They had that common interest, that common goal, that common drive. And they became friends because they had that same desire, that same purpose. In fact, it's not up on the screen, but the next verse, verses three and four says this. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan took off all of his royal clothes and gave his royal armor to David as a symbol of saying, you need to be the next king. I'm willing to give up my rightful spot as the next king of Israel because because of our friendship, I think you'll be better than I will. I think you can fight God's battles better than I will. And I care more about fighting God's battles. I care more about God's victory. I care more about God's glory than my own glory. And I care more about our friendship. So I'm willingly giving up all my rights to the throne for you, David. Pretty remarkable. And it was in that moment that they sparked this friendship. And and C.S. Lewis explains what's going on in his book. He explains how friendship works. And he says, this is how friendship always works. He says, friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover they have a common insight or interest or even taste, which the others do not share and which till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. It is then that friendship is born. 
See, friendship is born when you, when you are looking at something outside of yourself and you have a common interest. Um, a romantic relationship is when you're infatuated with the person, uh, when you're focused on the person. Friendship happens when you both have a common purpose, common interest. You, you, you look at mountain biking or chess or, or sports and you say, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. And that bonds the friendship. C.S. Lewis goes on to explain why so many of us then struggle to understand this, uh, this simple idea of how to make a friend. He says, that's why those pathetic people, his words, not mine, <laughs> uh, who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something even if we're only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So this is how David's friendship and Jonathan's friendship started. Both of them had this zeal for the Lord. Both of them fought big battles. Both of them took risks, fought against the Philistines, and they trusted in the Lord. That was that common interest, that common goal, and that bonded the relationship. Andy, or uh, Woody and Buzz had that common interest of, of, of pleasing their master, Andy, right? And if you want to have a friendship, that's what it takes to have a, a common goal, a common purpose. And I love this because it takes the mystery out of it. I think so many of our young people struggle, like, how do I make a friend? How does this even work? Well, find something you have an interest. Find something you have in common and become a fellow traveler with somebody else. Now, here's the beauty of being a Christian. When you become a Christian, you have something in common with millions of other people in the world. You might, you might differ on so many things. And it, it's very interesting if you, you go traveling to different places in the, the country or the world, you might have uh, things that are not, you have nothing in common with people. You have a different ethnicity, different culture, different tastes, different likes, uh, different hobbies. You might be different in every other way, but if you're both followers of Jesus and you're on that journey to pursue him and his glory and his will, well, that's enough to spark and to sustain a friendship. And so that helps us answer the first part of our opening question. How do we create Christian friends? How do you create Christian friends? through the common cause of following Christ. That's how friendship starts, especially Christian friendship. Pursue Jesus, be on fire for Jesus, pursue him, and you're going to find people to join you. That's how it works. Look at Jesus and keep your eyes focused on him and you'll have fellow travelers. That's how friendship starts. Now that's how we create friends, but then how do you cultivate them? How does friendship grow? Let's go back to the story of David and Jonathan. This time we're going to jump ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And by now, Saul, again, in his narcissism, in, he just is, is so focused on his own power and control. He's doing everything he can to push David out of the way. And David comes to Jonathan. He says, Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, oh no, he promised me that he wouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, that was in the past. Sure, he threw some spears at you, but that was the past and I'm sure he's going to do it better now and it's not going to be the same. Well, David finally convinces Jonathan that there's something wrong. And so Jonathan says that he'll watch him a little bit and, 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 and see what's going on. But before they part ways and before Jonathan goes to see his father, they make this covenant 
this formal agreement to their friendship. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 20, beginning verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, formal commitment, formal covenant of friendship, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. So he's going to check on his father, see what his father is really planning. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. These are the Hebrew way of making a, a, a promise, a covenant, a contract. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. So David and Jonathan, they make this promise um, that they're going to be for each other forever. Jonathan knows that he's going to have to hand this kingdom over to David. He wants to hand this kingdom over to David. He believes that David is, is God's chosen servant to carry the kingdom on. And so he says, all right, at least make this promise that when you come into power, you're not going to use your power to get rid of me, the rightful heir because that's usually what would happen in those days. If somebody's going to be an heir to the throne and they're getting in the way, you get rid of them. He said, make a covenant with me that, that for generations we will take care of each other. And that's what they do. And so Jonathan leaves David's presence after making this beautiful uh, promise of friendship and he goes to see his father. And while he's with his father, they have this disagreement uh, because it's becoming more and more clear that Saul does want to kill David. And Jonathan stands up for David. He stands up to his psychopath father. And his father throws a spear at Jonathan. And Jonathan says, oh, I think, I think my father does want to kill David. And now he wants to kill me too. And so no more talking to his father. Jonathan stops talking because that's what you do when you're around a narcissist. You stop talking. You walk out. And that's what Jonathan did. He walked out of the room and went and spoke to David. And they meet each other um, in this field and they have this beautiful interaction. It's going to be one of the last times we really see them speaking to each other, especially in this way. And this is what happens. It says, David bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then, he, then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. So they reaffirmed this promise that they made, this pact in their friendship. And they're both weeping. And David is weeping more because they realize how much their friendship is going to cost them. What's actually the consequences of their friendship? Jonathan knows that now he's going to hand over the kingdom to David. And because he's doing that, his father is going to be bent on killing Jonathan. So there's going to be a risk here. There's going to be a consequence here. It's going to be harder before it gets easier. 
And David recognized that now because he has this friendship with Jonathan, he's at risk that Saul is going to be coming after him even more as well. And so they're not going to be able to be together as much as they used to be. And so there's this great big risk that they're taking, this great big sacrifice of commitment to one another, commitment to the friendship and commitment to that common purpose of giving God the glory. And that's what strengthens their friendship. That's what solidifies their friendship. That's what fortifies their friendship. And that's how it always works. And that helps us answer the second part of our opening question. How do we cultivate Christian friends? Sacrificial commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes making sacrifice. That's what Jonathan did for David. David did for Jonathan these sacrificial commitments. That's what we see in the life of David's great-grandmother, the story of Ruth, where Ruth laid down her life to leave to be with Naomi. And the great big commitment they met made for each other for that common purpose. They had this huge sacrificial commitment to move together to a, a, would be a foreign land for Ruth, this sacrificial commitment because of their friendship. And that's what it's going to take for you too. Your friendships aren't going to get any stronger until you're willing to start sacrificing maybe time or money, energy. It's got to be more than just posting on somebody's Facebook page. That doesn't count. It's going to take some sacrifice. Uh, it's going to take us being less selfish and caring what we want and what's important to us and caring more about our common purpose with our friendship and making sacrifices to fortify that friendship. And I don't know about you, but that's when I start to feel convicted. Because I wonder, how many more friendships would I have or how much better would my friendships be if I wasn't so selfish? How much different would my friendships be if I were willing to make the, the sacrifices necessary to foster friendship, to cultivate friendship, to sacrifice time and money and energy to build other people up, to build up my friends? If you feel that same kind of conviction and, and the same kind of maybe even loneliness, well, you're not alone. And even David can relate. See, right here in this story, David gets an A plus when it comes to friendship. He was willing to make the sacrifices necessary to cultivate and, and fortify the friendship with Jonathan. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear the story of David and another friend that he had, the story of David and Uriah. Uriah was one of David's friends, and we know about that because in the record of David's mighty men, his mighty warriors, his friends, was a man named Uriah. But instead of being devoted to that friendship, David lusted after Uriah's wife Bathsheba. He sexually abused her, and she got pregnant, and they tried to cover everything up by uh, murdering or having Uriah murdered. And so David is not always the greatest example of friendship. So sometimes we got to look beyond David. We got to look beyond David as somebody greater, the greatest friend, the only true friend, Jesus Christ. So remarkable about Jesus is he devoted his whole life, his ministry to his friends, his disciples and the other women that were with him, Mary Magdalene and the other women, 
And then the, the inner circle of disciples, especially Peter, James, and John, where he really devoted himself to them. He didn't give himself to all of the crowds, to everyone out there, but the savior of the world thought it was, friendship was that important that he gave his best time and energy to this group of friends. In fact, the night before he died, he wanted to be alone with his friends. And when he was alone, he said this to them. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's own friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. There's so much in these verses, but, but Jesus is saying, the greatest love that you can show somebody, show your friends, is lay down your life for them. To, to make a commitment to them. That's the greatest thing you could do. And that's what we have in Jesus Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are his friends because he's laid down his life for you. In fact, he says, you didn't even choose him. He chose you to be his friend. And, and he's the, the greatest friend because, because he has that common purpose, that common cause. He has you in mind to bring you back into God's presence See, it was through Jesus laying down his life for you for all the times that we haven't been a good friend. For, for him, he lived for you, he died for you, he rose for you, he laid down his life for you to make you a friend of God. And so to quote Toy Story, Jesus is the kind of person who says to you, you'll always have a friend in me. You have a friend in me. You might have run from him. You might have, have, have doubted him. You might have denied him. But Jesus says, you can always come back. You'll always have a friend in me. And that's different than all of our earthly friends and all of our earthly relationships. We haven't always been a good friend and others haven't always been good friends to us. But you'll always have a friend in Jesus. He'll always welcome you. He'll always forgive you. He'll always accept you. He'll always bring you back in. You'll always have a friend in Jesus, even if everybody else lets you down. And that leads us to change how we treat other people. That changes how we treat others, especially our friends. Here's the take-home point. Lay down your life for your friends. Make the necessary sacrifices for your friendships. Here at Victory, the way, the way that we do that is we have life groups uh, that are really going to be kicking off again in September uh, and, and that takes time and takes energy to, to, to take time a night or during the day to go to somebody's house or to come here to victory and, and to meet together. But that's how we foster friendships. Uh, another one, one way that we do that here at, our, at victory is through the men's and women's mentoring group. I've seen some of you, especially saw this in, in the first service, how People who fostered those friendships through the men's and women's mentoring groups connect with one another. We come to church, are so happy to see each other and they're hugging one another because they put in the time and effort 
to foster those Christian friends. And whether you do it through a, through a program here at Victory, find a way to sacrificially commit to another Christian friend because you need each other. Life is just too hard to do it alone. Life is just too demanding to try to think you can do this all alone. It's too confusing. It's too brutal. There's just things that you won't be able to do on your own. You need to make use of God's gift of friendship. Now, I know we all have busy schedules. I know we all have lots of things to do. And as C.S. Lewis says, there's not this biological necessity for friendship. We can live and breed without friends, right? But we do need friends. We're not going to make it through life without them. It's just not going to happen. Like, like Solomon says, whoever has unreliable friends will come to ruin. And David would not have made it to be a king. He would not have been known the great King David if it wasn't for his best friend, Jonathan. And so, commit to friendship. Make those sacrificial commitments of time, of money, of energy. Lay down your life for your friends so that your friendship can go, let me say it, cheesy enough, so that your friendship can go to infinity and beyond, right? Be the kind of person that always can say, you have a friend in me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Jesus Christ, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. That we can come to you in prayer, that you welcome us back, even when we haven't been a good friend to you or a good friend to others. So welcome us back again. Forgive us all of our sins. Accept us again. Choose us again. Believe in us again. And then lead us to do what we've seen in you. Lead us to lay down our lives for our friends. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.